one of the family. The family. Dogs are a part of it and at the very heart of it. Nikki Campbell explores this wonderful world with the help of special guests and some other family members. Welcome to One of the Family. This edition is called The Word of Dog. The world-renowned dog expert and trainer Victoria Stillwell will be talking about dogs' language. What are they trying to communicate? How we can understand them? And then... Susie Dent from Countdown, Dictionary Corner, will be talking about how dogs have influenced our language. And she is characteristically erudite. Oh, so tell you where dogs' bollocks come from. That's quite nice. Also, the actor Mark Morahan has been brushing up his Shakespeare for those canine references. And one of the family breakout star, Kirsty Campbell, so she tells me, has been musing with her friendship group. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Sick as a dog. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. His bark Why is Why are you wild. holding your phone and reading it? It's <laughs> That was Charlotte there on the dog and bone, rumbled. So Susie Dent coming later, but next, what are they saying? First off, Victoria Stillwell, internationally recognised leader in her field, and it's a field full of beautiful dogs jumping around, leaping and running in slow motion, and she understands them. Only dogs understand canine language more than Victoria does. It just makes all the difference. All the difference, yeah. When you see a particular ear position or a position of the body, you have to look at what the rest of the body is doing and the context in which the dog is doing it. And that's why language, and that's why I geek out on this stuff because, and I, and I spend hours just watching language, is that you can have the same action, but it means two totally different things. And it depends on the environment, situation, context that the dog is displaying that behavior at that time. Yeah. People are very quick to label dog behavior where we've got to sort of take a step back and really take a look at the language we're seeing before we attach a label to it. Oh, the dog's scared. The dog's happy. Mm. The dog's guilty. The dog's spiteful. That kind of stuff. One of the family. So he does speak, doesn't he? Well, he yeah. communicates through language, through his body language. He's like groans and he like, love, he's loving his tickles and you like flap his ears and he knows he's enjoying it. Flap his ears and I'll try and record him then. <laughs> oh, 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 there's one there. Try another one, try another one. <laughs> he sort of narrows his eyes when he's pleased to see you too, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. That means he's um, happy. He'd go, it's like friendship, isn't it? All right, so a lot of dogs will kind of sort of semi-sneeze and um, it's almost like it's, it's, it comes with sort of excitement. And it may have started as, as started as a displacement behavior. So well, a displacement behavior means, for example, if I'm talking to you and I'm nervous, I might be going like that. That's a displacement behavior. And a lot of animals will, when they mm. greet other animals or they greet new people, they'll um, sneeze, sniff, yawn, scratch. It's called displacement behaviors. And sometimes, and then they just become a habit. So they might do it one time and it, serves and it feels better with it and then um, it becomes a habit as part of their greeting behavior so the dog doesn't have to feel nervous in order to do a displacement behavior 
So they might be very excited and their excitement has to be physically expressed somehow, but they can't jump up and down and they can't, so they start to do, do this kind of blowing out of their nose. I see it as a, a joyful meeting every morning. It is, absolutely. My um, Shih Tzu does it. She blows out of her nose and uh, slash sneezes and then she dances with her paws because she's so excited when I come through the door that she, that, that movement's got to go somewhere. So every animal will express that differently. I love it, this is my jam. <laughs> In dogs, I like to break it down. Auditory memory, touch memory, and olfactory memory. I mean, it's, it's extremely important. And then when we're talking about olfactory, about how, how closely linked odor is to emotion. Because unlike other senses, that go through other parts of the brain before they're processed. Smell goes straight to the amygdala, which is the dog's emotional center, mm. which means there's almost that, there's an emotional reaction which causes the physical reaction in that dog very, very fast. So there's that, there's I, that whole world. I mean, we're not even, yeah. this, is, this is language too. We were talking about Old Spice on the radio and I bought some from Boots on the way home because I thought oh, I used to put it on when I was a teenager, you know, going out. Oh, yeah. I, I got it and I sniffed it and it went straight to my amygdala. Yeah. Those adolescent feelings. And it's very, very, very powerful. Yeah. Because we had him done at two years, Maxwell, he's still, and it's the funniest thing, because he hasn't got the physical wherewithal at all. He still has the urge. He's even mounted and gone in. And they were saying, she's on heat, she's on heat. What's that? I said, it's okay. It's okay. He's been done. Meanwhile, he's... Oh, it's still there. Tell me about it. That smell, as you said, that smell, when you smelt that old spice, it sort of triggered those memories. Yeah. Still will trigger whether they, are, whether they have the nuts or not. In the anus, in the anogenital area, that is the dog's scent signature. The, all those pheromones, those chemical messages that are giving your dog, or the dog that's sniffing, information about the dog they're sniffing health age sex emotion right it's or or how that how that dog is feeling it's incredibly important and what you'll find is that studies have shown that male dogs will mostly greet by going sniffing the bottom first then the face female dogs tend to greet other dogs by going to the face first and then to the bottom but it's all of these areas, moist areas around the ears, around the mouth, humans around the belly as well. Dogs like to sniff a lot around the belly, in the crotch area. It's getting information about you. And that's why dogs smell each other's bottoms. It can be very embarrassing when somebody arrives in the house and they sniff that individual's anogenital area. Yeah, they do. It's, <laughs> I'm sorry. He's got a thing about anogenital areas. My, uh, my dog did that all the time. She, uh, people would come in and drove, drove my mother-in-law crazy. So I had to teach her not to do that. Mm. And I taught her not to do that by, hey, guest comes into the house, go get your toy, go show him the toy mm. instead. There's a dog on the common. I, I guess when Maxwell was two, three, four years old, he first encountered this dog, a big Labrador. You know, standing proud. Standing tough, standing tall, like a nightclub bouncer of a dog, you know? <laughs> Maxwell, whenever he, he saw that dog, yeah. this one particular yeah. dog, 
submissive and like that. You know, like some ever so humble Dickensian character. You know exactly what I, I know mean. exactly what you mean, yes. What's going on there? Oh, well, that's survival, I have to say. I mean, but good, good, because that's appeasement behaviour. That is absolutely showing deference. If that dog is posturing in some kind of way, then your dog giving deference to that dog is keeping your dog safe. Mm. Deference is extremely important in a dominant submission relationship or a dominance submission relationship. So for too long, people have labeled dogs as I have a dominant dog. My dog is dominant. But actually, dominance in the animal world, in the dog world, dominance is not a personality trait. Dominance is a social relationship between animals of the same species. And dominance works without causing violence when an animal naturally defers to another. So you'll see this in puppies when they lick their mama's face and they lick your face or your own dogs when the ears go back and they smile and they, as I know your dog does, and they, they lick and um, that's just, a, it, that is appeasement behavior, but not because you've done something wrong. It's just natural, normal puppy behavior that they will do to their parents. And it is a deference, it's showing deference. And as lo- if you're the parent and you accept that, then that's a wonderful relationship. This whole thing of when people label their dogs as dominant and then they have to dominate their dogs into submission in order to get their dogs to behave. Nonsense. It's such a, yeah, it's such a, it's just such a messed up way of seeing that human dog relationship. And actually, really in the in that that pack we're talking about a group of dogs works when deference is not forced but given freely to that dog that is showing signs and signals that maybe are a little bit more dominating and so your dog is is doing the exact right thing if you're going to meet a new dog or you're going to see a dog and you want to immediately connect with them, get on their level, communicate with them and say, look, I'm friendly. I'm so, I'm so happy you asked me that. It's such a brilliant question because it depends. But what I generally do is I do less than more. I'm not in a dog's face. I'm not touching them. I'm not, I don't do any of that. I, I might speak to the dog, I might say hello and then see what the dog does. Does the dog come into my space? And if it does come into my space and touches me, then maybe that's a signal that I can touch them. And then what I do is I stroke them. So if that happens and they come into my space and they want physical contact, then I'll touch them with my hand and I'll talk to them and I'll do that for about three, four seconds and then I'll stop. If they go away, they've just told me, that's great, no more, off. If they stay with me, and they kind of look up and they still want physical contact, then I can touch them a little bit more. And so I sort of use that three second rule. It's all about relieving pressure because we humans, and especially us dog lovers, we want to say hello to every dog that we see. But maybe that dog doesn't want a stranger coming up, leaning over and touching them. So easy, just stay back a little bit, invite the dog. And if the dog wants to come into you and and say hello to you, it will. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. 
how do we know that dogs actually love? Well, now because of science, we know unequivocally that they love. And it's that ability to love which has made the domestic dog so successful living with humans. We like to be loved. We like to be loved and they have that ability and that capacity to love us. One of the, the I suppose, more famous studies that were done in Sweden, there's a doctor out there who's it's called the oxytocin queen. She studies oxytocin in humans and the response of oxytocin to from human to human. I mean, she did the same study with dogs. The oxytocin queen. Yeah. She's a queen of hearts. She is. Well, she certainly um, has done a lot of studies on how dogs respond to us when they see us at the, uh, when we've been away from work at work and we come back at the end of the day and they see us. Their, their excitement to see us and their, their desire to be with us. And it's chemical. They're getting a surge of oxytocin in their bodies as, as we are too. And so it's studies like that that, I mean, validate oh, what we dog lovers already know. Yeah, of course our dogs love us. Now we have scientific proof to back it up. For one being to actually render, the, render themselves vulnerable by falling asleep in front of another. We're all pre-programmed to survive, right? So it's, it's dangerous. Sleeping can be dangerous in some environments. But the dogs trust us so much that they're able to sleep and feel comfortable and safe in our presence. I think that is amazing testament to their trust and, and this incredible relationship we have. One of the family. More from Victoria later on. Have a look at the new YouTube channel for the podcast. Just search my name and one of the family. Have a look at Kevin Bridges and his rescue dog, Annie. It's so special. So, from the language of our dogs to the dogs in our language, who better to talk about this than Countdown's Susie Dent? The phrases and the words are just they're everywhere. They are, they? and they're not always very complimentary, at least not to the life of a dog. Because if you go back, you know, centuries, they had a pretty tough life, Nikki. I mean, I know a lot of dogs still do, but, um, you know, if you say that someone's got a hangdog expression, um, you probably know this, but they used to genuinely try animals in court if they were um, found to be offenders of any particular crime so um if a horse had literally upset the apple cart it might be dragged into court but dogs were very often um dragged in if they'd bitten somebody um and uh, and then they were hanged um which was absolutely horrendous so that's where hang dog expression comes from i did not know that oh just yes ridiculous i mean you couldn't you wouldn't want to make that up um but dog bites were quite a big thing and you know dogs were carriers of um all sorts of diseases so uh when you say have a hair of the dog if you're having a you know a nip of alcohol the morning after the night before that goes back to um an alleged cure whereby if you'd been bitten by a dog maybe a rabid dog you would run after the animal and you would pluck a hair from its from its fur and then you'd make some kind of poultice with that fur and put it over the wound and it would make the bite better that's what it was believed so then it was transferred to the idea of you know a bit of the alcohol that bit you last night will make you better um so they pop up in all sorts of strange ways yeah i suppose they weren't maybe cherished in the same way that they are now they weren't one of the family i mean they would have been in certain circumstances nope. but they would have been 
guard dogs or they would have been working dogs or or scavengers but remember you then we start seeing those yeah. those the dutch masters and those paintings beyond that and the paintings of the english royalty and the upper classes cuddling their spaniels yes spaniels isn't it because spaniels is, is um that goes back we'll probably talk about names of dog breeds but um that means the spanish dog so quite often they would see oh. these kind of exotic pets um and then yes you're right so you had the kind of the working dogs and the hunting dogs and you also had um you know expressions like dog's dinner or dog in the manger hang dog as i mentioned but then you got the lap dogs and they weren't seen particularly you know nicely either so they were seen as these kind of lap, lap dogs who um were mollycoddled and cosseted and were seen as a bit foppish um so we get some brilliant words from from there if you call someone feisty for example then that originally was applied to um a very windy lap dog uh so one who kind of growled a lot if anyone came near and was prone to um to fart basically so so feisty meant farting uh, really yeah that's so you know they they were kind of two lives and neither of them were were seen as being particularly lovely but the kind of dog eat dog world was the one probably that you definitely didn't want to be part of if you were a dog and um yeah it was all a bit grim um and and most unlike cats most of the idioms that we have are you know linked to that negative image that we that we had and you know anything debased for example like dog latin um, or you might, you know, not to Shakespeare, you might call someone a dog. You might be dog poor, you might be dog sick, you might be dog tired. It was all kind of reflected the poor lives that these, that these poor animals had. There is much reassessment of language at the moment. And maybe the reassessment of language yeah. pertaining to dogs is not top of the list. But I think it should be certainly mm. on the list. I've got a couple of very feisty West Highland Terriers. Have you? And I'll go, Tina. And she'll go... <laughs> Honestly, do you think? <laughs> what is the word dog? The word dog itself, where does that come from? Uh, well, there you have touched upon one of the great etymological mysteries of the English language. Okay, so the answer is no one knows. Um, because in Old English, um, it was um, hund or hound because, um, you know, we, we are a Germanic language and, and uh, we took that word straight from the Germanic invaders um, that, you know, established so much of our language. And no one knows where dog comes from. And so I'm looking at the OED here. It says mm, etymology is problematic. The word is recorded twice as a place name element in an Anglo-Saxon charter of, nine, uh, nine four, of 941 granting land at Buckland Newton in Dorset. Um, and quite often you will find the earliest records of a word, swear words included, being in the surname or place of, of a person or a place name. Um, but we just don't know. We can't find anything that actually explains where dog came from and why it was seen as being important to replace or hound. It's just so interesting that dog, such a simple, important word, has been a mystery for centuries. One of the family. Some classic canine Shakespeare coming up, but first of all, Kirsty Campbell and her friendship group. Think of all the phrases in the English language which yes. include cats include the dogs. word dog. Oh, Go it's on. Raining cats and dogs. Yeah. Dog days. Dogs. Dogs dinner. The dogs dinner. Dog days are over. Yeah. Puppy love. 
Dog's dinner. Yeah. Um. You bought. You buy. You dogged me out. You buy your food. You dogged me out. You dogged me out. You're barking. What this? You dogged me out. You're barking. You guys dogged me out. And now, Mark Morahan performs a piece from the Scottish play, spoken by Macbeth. In the catalogue ye go for men, as hounds and greyhounds, mongrels, spaniels, curs, shuffs, water rugs, and demi wolves are clipped, all by the name of dogs. The valued file distinguishes the swift, the slow, the subtle, the housekeeper, the hunter, every one according to the gift which bounteous nature hath in him closed, whereby he does receive particular addition from the bill that writes them all alike. And so of men. It's not bad, is it? Because it's not bad at all. I mean, Shakespeare was really interesting when he when he talked about dogs because he um, also saw them very much as these kind of rav- ravening sort of beasts into the dogs of war um, that he uses in Julius Caesar, which is that kind of unleashed savagery that you get with conflict. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that he kind of breaks them down into categories and then you know links and links them to the personalities of, of humankind but that's quite interesting in a way because we all do that you know when we see a poodle we immediately look to the owner to see if it also looks like a poodle which well i do anyway poodle's a nice one um that's the kind of splash hound because in german um poodlen is to splash around in water but they used to hunt waterfowl i think poodles they might still um but it, yeah splash hound is a poodle so poodle itself is to poodle in a puddle to poodle in a puddle in German anyway. Poodle, yes, is to splash about. Um, and yes, you're right. There is a, there is a link there going back quite a long way with puddle. A lot of the names, you know, whether it's bloodhound or whether it's or retriever. Mm. Maxwell's Labrador retriever, retriever isn't yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, or pointers. Pointers would kind of you know lead um, the hunter to the quarry. Dachshund, the Dax there is from the German ducks, meaning a badger, because they went out to ferret out badgers. Um, so a lot of them actually were that were named after their kind of prowess when it came to um, hunting. So yeah, that, you know the, the, the legacy is still there in the dog breed names. Yeah, what are what words like terrier? Oh, you know, he's a great player. He's a real terrier. Oh, she's an absolute terrier. Yeah, determined, uh, gritty, mm. won't give up. Yes. Well, that terrier there is linked to terrain um, because they will frantically dig up the earth in order to get to whatever it is they're trying to sniff out. Yeah. Um, so it's got weird simply because it's got sibling in Mediterranean as well, because Mediterranean was the sea in the middle of the earth. The terrain was the was the earth Mediterranean. Um, so that's where the terrier comes from. Um just trying to think what the, we talked about the spaniel, didn't we? The basset, um, bassets are so sweet that they probably take their name from the French bas, meaning low down, because basset hounds are quite mm-hmm. tiny, aren't they? Um, and then you've got ones that are named after people like the Labrador, named after a Portuguese explorer, we think, um, and the Doberman and the Weimarana, um, and Corgi. Oh, yeah. Corgi is possibly one of only two. Welsh words 
in the dictionary kind of that have become naturalized in English. The other one is a penguin, believe it or not. That's the story in itself. But a corgi is Welsh for dwarf dog. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, again, because they're sort of they're quite little. I've just remembered Puppy Love. The song. Puppy Love's quite sweet. No, well, not the song, but just um, that's another kind of quite nice one, isn't it? That kind of intense infatuation. That's a fairly nice expression. That used to be called calf love uh, centuries ago. So it wasn't just puppies that caused that kind of little infatuation. Yeah, you talk about puppy eyes, don't you? Boxer. Boxer. Um, yeah, do you know what? I genuinely never thought about boxers. I'm going to look this one up for you. Um, what will I do about the OED? Is it because their faces look like they've been in, Maybe. in the ring with <laughs> Anthony Joshua? Um, the kind of broken nose yeah. idea, boxer. Yeah. Okay, so I'm figuring this is going to be a long entry in the OED. Um, tall hat, boxwood peg top, one who puts things up in boxes, or um, a breed of dog of the bulldog type. And yes, it goes back to one who boxes or fights with his fist, a pugilist. But it doesn't quite say why, um, but it does give a description of their colour, which can be fawn or brindle. And I really love that because my mum's Springer Spaniel was called brindle because of its colour. I think that's just such a lovely word, brindle. What colour is it? It's kind of um, chestnut colour. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful brown. Um, and you know me tapping away. Um, it is really old, might even be Viking. Um, and yeah, tawny or brownish, marked with bars or streaks of a different hue. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of different shades of brown in our case. There you go. I just like that one. And the word cur, mm. C-U-R, which is an old-fashioned word for dog, which appears a lot in very early English literature, yes, doesn't wretch. it? Um, yes, again, not not very good. That goes back to, again, this probably got some Viking um, blood in it. It goes back to uh, a word that meant to grumble. And you know, when you kermer, if you talk about a kermering, um, I think it was Johnson, Samuel Johnson, who talked about uh, a kermering in his intestines um, when his, his stomach was grumbling and not very happy. Um, so it's linked to that. It's a low rumbling, growling or murmuring sound. So a cur or a kind of wretched hound might make that kind of growling, snarling noise. Mark Morahan plays the part of Shylock from The Merchant of Venice. I'll have my bond. Speak not against my bond. I have sworn an oath that I will have my bond. Thou callest me dog before thou hadst cause. But since I am a dog, beware my fangs. Fangs. <laughs> Here are my fangs. <laughs> These are brilliant, aren't they? Just need to morph them into model insults. I love them. Okay. Shakespeare is the dog's bollocks. <laughs> Oh, so tell you where dog's bollocks comes from. That's quite nice. <laughs> anyway, I have to tell you about the dog's bollocks because it's one of my favourite etymologies. Um, it began as printer's slang or typographer's slang for the colon dash, that typographical combination of a colon followed by a dash because of what it looked like. The colon dash looks like a particular part of a dog's anatomy. So it was their kind of slang um, and then eventually I think because of the formulation it sounds a little bit like the cat's whiskers um, there were loads of these um, you know the 
elephant adenoids, kippers, knickers, etc. It became elephant adenoids. These were all in the, um, I think it was around the 1930s. There was this kind of exuberance um, of, oh, let's create as many new expressions as we can. So the kippers, knickers is a good one. Um, anyway, but because it sounded a bit like that, the dog's bollocks moved from being that typographer's slang to something that meant the kind of acne of excellence. And so to the actor of excellence, Mark Morahan, with a couple more bits of canine Shakespeare. These are great. King Lear, from King Lear. Thou hast seen a farmer's dog bark at a beggar, and the creature run from the cur. There thou mightst behold the great image of authority. Are dogs obeyed in office? And I love all this. This is from the Merchant of Venice. I am Sir Oracle, and when I ope my lips, let no dog bark. <laughs> that sounds incredibly modern. I can imagine Trump saying that, actually. <laughs> I open my mouth, let <laughs> no dogs bark. <laughs> um, yeah. Or tweeting it in capital letters. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with those kind of scare quotes. Yeah. yeah. The phrase they often use in politics, it's like that awful say, oh, he's gone and shot your fox. But the other one is... I don't have a dog in the fight. That's ah, not. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, as we know, dog fights are still going on, which is um, pretty mm. horrendous. But yes, you know, you have, you've still got pit bulls and you've got um, bulldogs and all of those um, were linked to horrible um, baiting and, and fighting contests that used to take place. So um, yeah, no change there, unfortunately. It's just mm. all gone underground. I thought you were going to say dog whistle, as in dog whistle politics and that kind of thing. Over to you. Yes, dog whistle politics. I am, as I always do, I'm going to look up in the OBD because I always have that. Get your prejudices <laughs> out. <That's how> <laughs> it used to ding. be. I'm pretty sure it began in Australia. And my understanding of dog whistle politics originally was that it was... Um, a kind of message that was only audible to a certain um, demographic. And that was ah. the idea. So that just like a dog whistle can only be really picked up by a dog. Um, so that was then applied to a message. Here we go. Um, yeah. So in 1995, actually the, third, the, the second record is in Australia from 97, but the first one that's recorded here is from Ottawa. Um, and it says a statement or expression which in addition to its ostensible meaning has a further interpretation intended to be understood only by a specific target audience so it's got that kind of extra dimension that only some people are going to pick up yeah. um yeah you're right it's it's funny how political discourse has become quite doggified if that's a word i'm sure it's not um but it's just there's so much in our consciousness aren't they and you know as you say sometimes it well it's not always positive but they are still very much there to be um you know to be made into language which i guess is a good thing i speak to maxwell and my west highland terriers in a form of their language mm. their little sniffs and their movements and i i, I try and i try and do their uh, their body yeah. language to communicate with them and I kind of watch very carefully and read lots of books to seek to understand what they are trying to communicate to us. Um, well, I, just just to say on that, I really need to listen to your um, to your chats with the dog behavioural experts and things, because I and, and the language that dogs are trying to you know convert use to converse with us. Because just on that front, I heard on your program, I think it was on um, Five Live Breakfast, that if you 
that, that when a dog um, rolls over, it's not necessarily asking you to rub its tummy. It's actually saying, okay, you win, you are the boss. Which I, and, and I'm sure that the person who you were speaking to said, is not necessarily a sign of affection, which I was completely gobsmacked by because I've always thought it's complete, you know, they seem to love having their tummies rubbed. So is this completely wrong? I need to know. More from Susie coming up, but the best person to answer Susie's question would be Victoria Stillwell. So here is Victoria Stillwell. Have you got a person that comes into your home and your goes to say hello to your dog and your dog immediately flips over on the back, showing its stomach? That is what we call a cutoff signal, which means not that comfortable, please leave me alone. But so the submission, if we look at submission in another way, is, as I said, cutting off interaction. Don't come near me, don't touch me. I am showing, I'm not a threat to you, I'm showing you the most vulnerable part of me. Please don't be a threat to me. And, and, and it's, very, it's, it's very hard, especially for children, when I tell them this and I tell them about dog body language and we say, you know, when a dog flips on its back, it doesn't always want to have its tummy tickled. It's really important to say that because a lot of people get bitten that way. So the general rule of thumb is if you don't know a dog and you go up to it and it suddenly flips on its back and shows you its tummy, even if it isn't, go, okay, I got you. I'm, I'm reading your language. I won't touch you. And then when, when you build up trust with the dog, I know that she is inviting me to stroke her stomach. But unlike dogs, actors always like having their tummies tickled. So here is Kirsty Campbell, and she's about to do a little bit of Beatrice from Much Ado About Nothing, and it's marvellous. One of the family. Do you like this canine Shakespeare? Well, yeah, I didn't realise he ever focused on dogs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't my best. I'm a bit tired, but... <laughs> oh dear, you poor thing, you poor And here is Brutus from Julius Caesar. But for supporting robbers, shall we now contaminate our fingers with base bribes and sell the mighty space of our large honours for so much trash as may be grasped thus? I had rather be a dog and bay the moon than such a Roman. Such a Roman. That's not. That's quite a pejorative one. Yes, that is. This is like the lowest the low. But I'd even rather be that um, than a Roman. Yeah, that that is a good one. Um, yeah, they didn't actually. They didn't really get a good rap with Shakespeare, did they? Most of the time. Can I also mention a fantastic um, charity because I am such a worrier about yeah. dogs, and I quite often really feel not just for the homeless um people who are you know sitting sitting in miserable miserable times but also their dogs who are quite often their absolute life and soul and and they're so reliant on each other and there's a brilliant charity called dogs on the streets um which has stations i think near the strand and there's got one in oxford i went and spent the night um giving out food but also giving out um collars coats um, just, you know, everything that's going to make these dogs kind of comfortable and their owners worry less. It's absolutely brilliant charity and it's very, very small. So they're definitely worth it. It's out. a wonderful charity that I have heard of it. And yeah. as you say, dogs are these people's companions. And, and I think a great solace and great warmth and great friends to each other. I think it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. From Midsummer Night's Dream. 
my hounds are bred out of the Spartan kind. So flued, so sanded, and their heads are hung with ears that sweep away the morning dew. Crook-kneed and dew-lapped like Thessalian bulls. Slow in pursuit, but matched in mouth like bells. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's right. And you reminded me of the word flu, which is great, or he Shakespeare's is. Um, F-L-E-W. Flued, yeah. So the flu is the large, really big chaps, the cheeks of a, of a like a bloodhound. They're those kind of really floppy things that you see. Those are flues. Mark Morahan there. Isn't he great? <laughs> oh, Maxwell, be Maxwell quiet. agrees. Mark Morahan. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, Maxwell Well, yeah, him. he said it all really, Maxwell. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, perfect. Perfect choice uh, for those lines, I think. Cheers, Mark. So, for you, how would you complete this phrase? What word would you use? Dogs are... I would say dogs, can I change it slightly and just say, dogs give respair. And respair is one of my favourite ever words, and it's quite a recent discovery. Um, all too rare, now obsolete. Respair means fresh hope or recovery from despair. And that's, to me, what they are. They just constantly give you optimism and hope that the next day will be better and that they'll be there. We have so many words for them. If only, if only they had words for us. And I wish all dogs for about an hour would suddenly be able to speak the languages of their human so that they could say, hey, I like this, I love this, but I really don't like this. Please, will you teach me to sit? Could you please not make me sit a hundred times a day? And could you take that nasty choke collar off me, please? Because I don't like that. I also don't like shock collars. I don't like, could you just, I wish they could do that. Because then humans wouldn't get away with the way that they teach dogs. Mm. Can we please meet these animals where they're at? Can we please be less punitive? And there are amazing ways to teach them. But you do it in a way that is kind and respectful. And why? Because we now know that creates dogs that are happier, less anxious and more emotionally balanced. Ain't that the truth? Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to the brilliant... Victoria Stillwell, the wonderful Susie Dent, and the marvellous Mark Morahan. Mark, take a bow. Wow. Would that we could happy be, as Maxwell's groan of ecstasy. Oh, if only. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe for more like this. One of the family. <laughs> <laughs>